Welcome, adventurers. The journeys of heroes and villains begin for many different reasons. The tale of one such beginning is at hand. Season four starts now. Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon Soul had passed behind the Dramorskur, the shadow of the mountains reaching out, growing toward the east. The shadow moved on past the forested slopes, racing on toward a house atop a hill. The grass on which the house stood was a deeper green than the hill on which Colborne sat in his wheelchair. The hill on which he sat was lower than that of the house, and the color of the grass here was a vibrant orange-red in the last light of the day the grass-tinted red from the iron-rich dirt of the rusted hills. But it was the house at which Colborne looked. It wasn't much, on the small side and made of dry-stacked stone in the way of the hill dwarves of Eagles Forge. A thick thatch roof topped it all, neat and trimmed as a proper hat. Unlike a typical dwarvish home of the region, the stone walls were washed with a plaster that had been tinted with a range of color, starting at purple toward the roof line, then faded to pink, then orange, and finally a hue of yellow where the house met the ground. It gave the illusion of a sunset. I'll live in no plain stone house, Colborne, Geesley had said, and so they didn't. Colborne smiled. Behind and partially obscured by the colorful house was Geesley's greenhouse, the place where so many beautiful flowers were grown, flowers from all parts of the Bharata province. The colors that lay within there made the house seem downright plain. Hidden behind both was the barn, home to their cow, two sheep, five goats, and a dozen or so chickens. It was a fine group of buildings. The mountain shadow reached out, touching the greenhouse. A quarter bell later, the house. When the gray had crept down the wall nearest them, Colborne reached down to his wheels and turned his chair. Two paces away, above a brown beard, braided and forked, his brother's eyes peered onto his face. This is your home, Colfin said quietly. Are you sure? <laughs> Colborne stared in frustration at the large book that lay open on the table. He wished the diagram explaining the hand motions was clearer. Hells, if he was wishing, he wished the book was written in dwarvish, or common even. His elvish was only passable. Colborne scrunched up his face as he put his hands in what he believed to be the correct opening phrase of the cantrip. And then, in studied concentration, he spoke the words of conjuration, tired fingers dancing. His palm paused face up and then spun, forming an open-clawed grip. Above the table there was a whisper of wind, 
and for the briefest of moments a faint bluish-green light seemed to appear, as if from nowhere. But it faded so fast you could argue it was a trick of the light. Colborn inhaled and exhaled strongly through his nostrils, flexing his aching fingers. He rolled his head, neck sore from being hunched over the book for... He looked up to the candle that burned on the wall. Sunner's beard. Had it been two bells? Geesley was going to skin him alive. He had promised to make dinner. Where his fingers and words had been unable to summon the ethereal hand, his panic and dread at letting time slip away turned out to be more than sufficient to summon Geesley. Even as he was slamming the book shut and rolling toward the wood cutting block where potatoes lay unrinsed and unsliced and a chicken unplucked, the front door swung open. Colborn sped toward the board, banging his knee into one of the legs. He held in the curse, fumbling to grab a knife in one hand and a potato in the other. As he raised the knife to chop, he froze. Standing just inside the door, now shut, was a dwarven woman. Tawny hair hung loose down her back. Cheeks were flushed and red from a day's work. Hands were placed firmly on hips. Above lips drawn into a thin line, eyes the color of copper bore into him. Colborn Flintfist, you must be joking. I've been outside three bills, and you ain't cut a single potato. I swear by Manorud, what gnomish madness have you been up to? Colborn still sat unmoving. Eyes wide, false grin frozen onto his face. There was a silence, then a quick motion. Colborn set down the potato and knife, spoke the words, hands moving. This time there was no disturbance in the air, but the translucent image of a hand could be seen for a beat before it faded. Colborn's eyes widened even further. Geesley's face melted immediately into a wide-eyed smile, hands moving from hips to clap in front of her in joy. Did you see? You nearly done it. She rushed to Colborn, leaning down to wrap dirty arms around his neck. It was amazing. She kissed him on the forehead. Even if you are otherwise useless, she said with a wink. Let me wash up and I'll help you do what should have been done. Your brother gonna tease you mercilessly, knowing you didn't cook the meal yourself. Colborn grimaced. He had completely forgot Colfin was coming to dinner. With a sheepish smile, he looked side-eyed at his wife. We don't necessarily need to tell him, do we? Too late for deception now, magic man, Geesley said, pointing a knife at him. With your little afternoon procrastination, Colfin should be here well before the meal is prepared. Colborn's eyes narrowed, even as he began to chop. Maybe we could send Tove to distract him. Where is my little bird? Where else? Practicing forms in the shade of the barn. Beating that dummy with a stick, Geesley said, placing a pot of water on the stove. There were a few beats of silence, and then Colborn said, Maybe we could get her to beat Colfin with the stick. Geesley laughed and ruffled his hair before beginning to clean the chicken. Unfortunately, Colfin had arrived before dinner was prepared. And worst of all, he did not say anything at all about Geesley helping with dinner. Just looked at her, and then looked to Colborn, pursing his lips, raising an eyebrow, 
and nodding in a self-assured way that made Colborne feel twice as bad as any verbal chastising. Colborne growled. Go outside and say hello to your niece. She'll be happy to see you. Though exactly why, I've no idea. Colfin chuckled, clapping a hand on his brother's shoulder, leaning over to kiss Geesley on the cheek. He sniffed the pot bubbling on the stove, cast one more glance at Colborne with a disappointed shake of his head, and left to go find his niece. Soul had long since set when they finally sat down to dinner, a cheery fire burning in the hearth to ward off the night's chill. Tova, daughter of Geesley and Colborne, hung rapt on her uncle's every word. It made eating easy for her, as placing food in a mouth that was already agape was a simple task. Colfin ribbed Colborne about his magical pursuits. Had he made the house fly yet? Summoned any invisible helpers to assist him with his cooking? Geesley had swatted at Colfin, telling him of the hand Colborne had nearly summoned this very day. A look of pride flashed in the brown-bearded ranger's eyes, before saying it was most likely a glove tied to a string in the rafters. Another swat from Geesley and a loud gale of laughter from Tova. Colfin told them of his travels with the hearth keepers, the standing guard that ensured the safety of Eggle's Forge and the surrounding areas. Colfin had been on patrol for the last month, ranging as far east as the edge of the yew wood and as far west as the foot of Drammer Skur, the mountains that overlooked their home. Colfin and his unit had been called upon to investigate a Sfin sighting, which Colfin thought to be unlikely. The Sfin were fairly content in their stolen home in Conagher, and when they did leave, it was usually to strike out west into Erdwind Vale. Much more likely someone had caught glimpse of a bear and fled before getting a good look. But reports must be checked out and cleared, he said. When the food was eaten and Colfin had made a point of thanking Geesley, and only Geesley, for cooking dinner, Tova cleared the dishes and began to wash without being asked. A request was coming soon, Colborne thought. Geesley and the brothers moved to the small sitting room by the hearth. After watching the fire for a bit and sipping another mug of ale, Colfin produced the wood flute and began to play. Colborne soon joined in with a percussive beat of his bowron. Finally, Geesley lent her voice, and a bell or more passed in song and laughter. At some point, Tova had crept to the edge of the room and sat. Normally she would sing along as well, but she had kept quiet this time, thinking she wasn't seen, and that if she wasn't seen, she might stay up longer. As a gentle lullaby, about a babbling brook's journey down from the mountains ended. Geesley put a hand on Colborne's arm and pointed to Tova. Tova had slumped to one side and her chest softly rose and fell. Colborne chuckled. Tova, my dear, he called. My little bird. Tova's eyes popped open, glassy with sleep. Bedtime loss. Tova sat up eyes clearing, hands clasped before her. Ah, thought Colborne, here is the question. May I camp out with Uncle Colfin under the stars? Tova asked. The question is for him to answer, Geesley replied. Tova 
looked to Colfin in anticipation. Colfin let the silence hang for a moment, before smiling. Well, I suppose. Tova jumped to her feet. You've a bedroll, then? It's in the barn. I'll fetch it, with my pack, bow, and axe, she said, even as she turned to leave. Colfin gave her a serious nod. Prepared. Good. Tova burst from the house, failing to shut the door behind her in her excitement. Geesley stood and made her way to the door to push it closed, saving the fire's warmth. Colfin looked to Geesley, and then on Colborn. She's a good lass. A pause. And gifted. She's a damn fine shot with a long bow. I could barely draw it at that age. And that stick. She came after me. I had to try. I mean, really try to not let her hit me. There was no response. The sound of the crackling fire filling the room. I'm just saying to think on it, Colfin said. She's a bit young still, but given her talent, Master Yid would let her begin her training. The hearthkeepers always need good people. And that girl is the best of people. Quiet again. Colborn could feel both Colfin and Geesley's eyes upon him as he stared into the fire. When it was clear Colborn would make no response, Geesley turned to Colfin. Will you be staying any longer, or must you leave soon? Colborn stood. I need to go south a bit tomorrow to talk to Grinsiv about what he saw, but I think I might return for one more dinner. Maybe Colborn could cook this time. Colborn rolled his eyes. There was a thud on the front door. Geesley, without opening the door, called. Yes? Who is it? Tova's irritated voice replied. Ah, open the door. Colfin picked up his pack, which sat beside the door. I'll take her out about a mile or so toward the mountain, so we can't see the house no more. It is not an adventure if you can still see your house. We'll be back for breakfast. Good night. Colfin swung the door open. Tova's pack was nearly the same size as her. Shall we off, then? he asked. We shall, Tova replied with glee, somehow managing to skip as she turned, despite the enormous pack. Colfin raised his eyes in a oh-boy expression. Geesley covered her mouth to suppress a laugh, and Colfin swung his pack on and stepped into the night. Still brooding, Colborn stared into the fire. Geesley made her way from the door to his side, placing a hand on his head, and then, after a few beats more, sat in his lap, wrapping her arms around his neck. She kissed him on the cheek, and then put her head on his shoulder, looking into the fire with him. What's wrong with a farm? Colborn said after a while. Geesley let out a sigh. There is nothing wrong with the farm, my dear husband. It is quite the best farm that I could ever ask for. A beat, and then for emphasis. That I could ask for, Geesley repeated. Me, who loves animals, loves the forest, loves flowers. She lifted her head and looked into his face. And this house, small as it is, has nigh as many books as a library, she said with a gesture to the bookshelf-lined walls. And it has me. So it has that which you, a scholar, and a one-day famous maker of magic, want. 
Holborn looked from the fire in the Geesley's copper eyes. But with all that, it doesn't have much for a warrior. And you know Colfin's right. That girl has got the spirit of Manny Blar herself within her. And whether or not her humble parents like it or not, that girl is going to be a warrior, with or without her approval. She patted his cheek. She's growing up. She must walk her own path. Geesley sat a few beats longer before standing and taking his hand. Now, husband, our daughter is gone for the night. Come to bed. Join me next week in the happy home of Geesley and Colborn Flintfist to see what events set Colborn and his brother on an unexpected path. Stay tuned next week for part two of What Makes a Home. Hey, actual play D&D podcast your thing? Want a story with huge heart? Check this out. Hey there, fine listeners. I'm Ken Brown, Game Master for the Rolling in the Geek podcast. I'm joining you today with an invitation for a place at our table to join Trevor the Cleric and Harkos the Monk as they discover the beauty and dark secrets of Riven, the Shattered Continent. Roll a perception check, subscribe to our website at ritgeekpodcast.com, and give us a listen on Apple Podcasts or whatever your preferred listening platform is. Thanks, and keep your eyes peeled for dragons.